What's up, everyone? It is 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News. I'm producer Lauren, and today we're joined by Katherine Hoffman from Fenimore Craig out in Nevada. She's going to give us an update about their cannabis industry. But first, we do have to get into a little bit of cannabis legalization news. So, Miggy and Tom, what's new in the news? Hi, Lauren. Uh, what's new in the news is um, a couple of days ago, I actually became a father. So, like, I'm wearing... Dopest dad. World's dopest dad. Um, and I actually wore that in the hospital. I got a few um, few side eyes, but hey, the baby's healthy and, and I'm totally thrilled. But it, it's there's also more good news. I mean, there was something that we we're going to have to talk about and then we should make a little clip about because in the federal areas, in the federal areas, this sucker was big. And this has been an evolving story for years, but it's back. And the, the issue, again, is the defunding defunding the actual uh, federal government from being able to enforce their cannabis laws. And so if this passes, there basically won't be any federal cannabis laws anymore. You know, wouldn't that be cool? That'd be nice to reallocate so many of those expenses. Well, yeah, but then I guess like, this is where, because it's cannabis, so everything's like kind of cuckoo. And, well, and, and the aspect of this is that it would, there would still be laws. There would just be no money to enforce those laws. Hmm. Which well, is weird. It, wasn't that what the, the medical for Blumenhauer? That's what he did in the beginning, right? Right. This is the uh, evolution of the McClintock-Blumenhauer Amendment that I started reporting on like five, six years ago now. And that was what really allowed medical cannabis to expand is because yeah. there was a prohibition against enforcement by the Department of Justice for the uh, cannabis laws at the federal level in states that had valid medical programs and couldn't interfere. And now that's uh, that's been updated. And it's a huge, uh, broad coalition. And so um, let's let's dive into that. Uh, yeah. There we are. Yep. And so uh, now what they've done is they've expanded it. And the way they expanded it was just to make sure that it's all state marijuana laws, not Ooh. all state medical marijuana laws. But before we get our... Um, before we get too optimistic on this, that effectively, if a state says whatever they want, like if it's decriminalized or if it's legalized uh, or if it's a grow and give, for example, the one of the sponsors now, because now it's no longer their McClintock Blumenhauer amendment because McClintock. Well, no, there's still McClintock. Who was it before? It was Bloom, Robacher Farr. So it was wow. Robacher Farr amendment. And then you know, Robacher and Farr, I think, are both out of Congress now. And yeah. now it's and then it was the Robacher Blumenhauer amendment. And then Robacher passed away. And now I and mean, again, it's it's uh, cannabis legalization is a lot like Moses. He just you just never reached the promised land. And so, um, yeah, right. Um, the problem is Kevin still receives a bad rep. I mean, the freaking Democrats just took it off the platform. Oh, Why? my God. The Why would they do that? Yeah, um, yeah, marijuana moment. I mean, I just like why would they take that off as one of their their main points? You you think the the left or the the hippies or where the fuck you call them? Right. <laughs> Those are the ones that it seems like are kind of like advocating for it because now it's let's let's go down the Democrats. Democrat Earl Blumenauer, Oregon, uh, Republican Tom McClintock, but he's a California Republican, uh, <laughs> and then Eleanor Holmes Norton, a Democrat from D.C. So I was like, wait. Are they even allowed to vote? I thought it was taxation without representation. And that's kind of true. But then, you know, there's there's some information about Eleanor Holmes Norton. She's an American politician serving as a non-voting delegate to the United States House of Representatives from the District of Columbia. She is 83 years young. Isn't that, you know, pretty amazing that they're going to uh, have that aspect of it? But um, it means nothing. And so now they call it the Blumenhauer McClintock Norton Lee Amendment. And so it's in the House. But what happened when it went to the Senate 
last time, last budget, didn't make it. So they do this the same way all the time. They put it into the budget because you need one of those. And then they kind of lean on these other states to say, well, you need the federal government to be open. So and and we don't have enough money. So why are we going to be spending uh, Department of Justice appropriations, they call it for money uh, on on you know, enforcing these laws where these states, they kind of said, no, we want it legal or we want to decriminalized. Uh, why are we going to interfere with that? And seriously, um, though, why? I mean, it, it just makes common sense. But well, you'd think that you'd think that. But then you, you'd have to look at this one. Mitch McConnell says putting marijuana banking in coronavirus. Uh, coronavirus. Uh, can you help me out with that one there, uh, Miggy? Coronavirus. Yes. Thank you. Coronavirus uh, okay. is yeah. non-germane. Is non-germane. That's right. I can no longer pronounce the word coronavirus. I have seen it too many dang times. And so what happened was this was out in the House and the House has this Heroes Act. And so right now, as we approach uh, August 1st, um, there was this Heroes Act in in Congress that they actually passed for approximately three trillion dollars. And it includes the Safe Banking Act. So it's the twice. And now the Safe Banking Act has been passed by Congress twice but because bicameral. It goes to the Senate and then it gets you know, shot down by uh, the Senate Republicans, which is strange. Then the Democrats say, OK, we're not going to put this on the ballot, which I know that we have like two octogenarians in waiting, like running against each other. Maybe that's it. But well, you know, while we hold our breath for legalization, I do have some other good news for activism. What's um, that? So our friends oh, make this big. I always make it so small. Well, you know, uh, post that's one of the issues, but it's Carrie Cannon. Too. Yeah. And, you know, uh, um. Oh, shit, wrong one. I'm making Gary Cannon is uh, active in the freelance glore uh, activism and then just general cannabis activism. And she is she out of Seattle? Yeah, she well, north of Seattle, up in Everett. But uh, um, the, the thing is, you remember our guest Peggy or Glenn that mm-hmm. were on and they were on trial for like a year. Yeah, I, I mean, they just settled and they're not doing it in court. Oh, wow. So, and, and the thing is, um, this wouldn't have happened. Like the attorney actually reached out to Carrie and said, Look, I actually think that uh, your activism helped like lawyers can only do so much. And a lot of times when it comes to these criminal cases, people are afraid to uh, uh, speak up and, or even taunt the courts. But, um, you know, it, it helps. And so along those lines, my other friend, uh, Amber Taylor, who's helping out with the Sean Worsley um, uh, event coming up on the 31st. Uh, it's a rally, mind you. It's not a protest. It's not a, a march. It's a rally in support of Sean Worsley and his freedom. Uh, she's getting hate phone calls from Alabama representatives. Are they saying like, don't you know it's the devil's lettuce and it's going to kill your babies? Well, the biggest thing is the whole like, uh, because it's the systematic racism she brings up and Black Lives Matters and whatnot. And they're like, why are you bringing this to our state? Why are you bringing this threatening movement? Which is you not mean like the Black Lives Matter is a threatening movement. Yeah. Yeah. They just, they, they harassed her and called her. And that I think too, like Percy, uh, an attribution to my activism is I piss off the right people. You know, that's it. You know, uh, what is it? John Lewis says, you know, it's a good kind of trouble. Oh, yeah. Good problems. Good trouble. Yeah. yeah I just figure, you know, I got the right people mad at me. It's all yeah. good. I tell yeah. you, you know, one of the nice things and also in campus legalization is that I can mention is I pretty much now moved into my house as being my full time office. And so that means that I can actually um, not just have celebratory uh, joints while I'm at work. But also, we have home grow. Oh, so like, uh, well, let me see if I can get this thing to focus. Uh, now you can never get it to focus when you want to. There it goes. So that's some some blackberry diesel home grow. Good daytime. 
medicine. And so, you know, that was one of the problems with working in an office is they'd be like, hey, you're not allowed to smoke that in here. It'd be like, you know, I got a lot of hard work to do here, buddy. A lot of legal theories that take a lot of mind bending and you have to do while trying to keep up with everything else. It helps. Again, it's, 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 it's people, uh, it's the stigma, right? Where stigma. Oh, if you smoke a joint, you're not going to be able to function. Yeah. So it's a guy who doesn't know how to smoke joints. Or, I'm, again, we're just fighting all, all this. Uh, yeah, let's let's pitch the books. That's right. Now, if you guys would like to get a copy of the book that uh, helped Miggy and I meet each other, it's uh, either in Satan Smoke, and that uses the Fourth Amendment, or it's in uh, the case of USB Yerbas, which uses uh, the Fifth and other due process aspects, you can email me at Tom at CollateralBase.com, and then we can uh, send you one of those. Um, so you know what else? Uh, New Mexico is making some money. Good, good. What's going yeah. on in New Mexico? Yeah, let's see, hey, Lauren, can you add me? Uh oh, <laughs> on my screen, I got a uh, well, let me let me just uh, okay, oh, there we go. Yep. Oh. There we are. It's all good, whatever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. New Mexico medical marijuana is booming during a pandemic, period. I mean, yeah, oh, and another on the note of shit show type shit, the government, check this one out. All right. So, Congress approves CBD. For military members. Yeah. But the Navy says, you know what? You can't have CBD shampoo. <laughs> like, what the fuck? This well, is what you nice Yeah, seriously. But then again, uh, one of the things is, is control and obedience and following orders. And so, like, if you haven't been, if you've been insubordinate by smoking the marijuanas, um, uh, you probably are going to be insubordinate to your co is that commanding officer but i don't necessarily know if that's that's accurate it does sound like one of those old wives tale about marijuana which they basically are all old wives tale about marijuana the more you actually learn about the plant the more you're like lies just all lies that was the thing right they're like oh you're gonna smoke weed and and all of a sudden be pacifist and not want to fight but let's remember vietnam that's where these guys came across the first time yeah that's right (laughs) But and let's uh, let's let's do a little bit of bad news before we round out the news summary and talk about the great state of Nevada. Uh, Illinois has announced additional delays, and then uh, we were all waiting with bated breath regarding the award of the uh, bid for who will judge the uh, craft growing and the Department of Agricultural licenses in Illinois. That did not come. Instead, it looks like they reached a, a sweetheart deal, and so now the KPMG application grading that they won originally for the $2.5 million is now up to $6.7 million and also includes all grading. So uh, we don't know when. They are going to start announcing things on this. This was something that uh, Toy Hutchinson, hopefully we can get her on the show here shortly. Uh, yeah. She was reported that, you know, um, almost six weeks ago now that uh, we should have had action in mid-July regarding the dispensaries and then in August regarding the other license types. Now it doesn't necessarily appear if that's going to happen. Uh, here we are, July 29th. It's no longer mid-July. And so it may be a while before all the work and the chaos all kicks back up again here in Illinois. But I hear in Nevada, they have a much more mature industry and it's popping off. Yeah. Well, I don't know about mature talking to our guests in the pregame. They've got a lot of issues, man. But we should talk to her. Yeah, let's bring her on. Hey, Catherine. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Finnamore Craig? Sure. So Fenimore Craig is a full service law firm across the Mountain West, and I handle 
um, complex licensing and regulatory matters in businesses that are um, regulated uh, pretty heavily by the government. And in Nevada, that includes um, gaming, cannabis, uh, liquor licensing, all, all the fun stuff, uh, but also financial institutions and some energy regulatory work as well. Yeah, that's used to be what I did, the financial institutions. And so they were my first uh, cannabis clients because, you know, compliance with safe and sound banking principles when you're trying to say, OK, Mr. Bank, let me explain to you how to safely and soundly commit money laundering. No, no, I know that it's technically money laundering, but this is a medical only state and they are compliant with the medical laws. Therefore, there's no allocation or appropriation in the bill. But then adult use came. So like I'd have little layers of uh, safety and soundness. I'm like, well, we can go to the Cole memo again. Now, none of this is binding, by the way, but that dollar is real. And so I've actually seen motions to dismiss uh, based on that lack of money. And so uh, you can't be prosecuted, which is fantastic. So, I mean, if, if the bank is worried about the crimes, but the crimes can't be prosecuted, the bank really shouldn't be worried about the crimes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like most states, uh, Nevada, you know, the banking aspect of cannabis businesses is still a really big challenge here. I imagine so. But you guys, I mean, you kind of got mafia money, right? Like back in the day. So I'm pretty sure you guys have techniques and how to get around shit. We we do have experience dealing with those issues. So okay. yeah, we're we're in a good position to to work through that. What's up with the three governing bodies though? In in four years. Yeah. So we got our first um, sort of commercial medical marijuana businesses in 2014. And since that time, we've had three different state regulators uh, monitoring the industry. So uh, there's definitely been some whiplash as the industry has had to move through different regulatory bodies. You know, first it was our Division of Public and Behavioral Health, then it moved to the Department of Tax. And now finally, we have a dedicated regulator, the, the Cannabis Compliance Board, that has set up sort of a specialized regulatory agency to just work with the cannabis industry. So hopefully that is the, the third and final stop for Nevada cannabis businesses. Wow, that must have been such, like you said, a whipsaw, because that's one of the hard things is the compliance with the particular regulations. And if it's like, well, we complied with their regulations. Those were last year's regulations and administrative body. This is this year's administrative body. It's like, we just spent $50,000 on lawyers. Well, it looks like you'd have to do that again. At least it's in the budget. Um, uh, that's that's really, really frustrating. Let's talk about the license types that they have in Nevada. Can you explain the licensing structure for the, uh, well, let, let's talk about adult use cannabis as opposed to the medical as that's more cutting edge. Sure. So like you said, we have adult use and medical. Um, and for the adult use field, um, there's essentially five types of, of licenses. You have your cultivation license for, for those who are growing it. Um, there's production licenses for making extracts, infusions, edibles. And then you have your retail license, uh, which are the, the stores that sell to the public. Um, and then the other two licenses are the independent testing labs, um, which are required to run through a whole host of, of testing and quality assurance um, issues. And then also uh, we have a dis dis distribution license system for transporting products between the different license types. Are you able to be vertically integrated by stacking the license types? Yeah. So the only wire, the only area you can't do that is the testing labs. Those are completely independent um, for obvious reasons, but it's pretty common in Nevada to have yourself vertically integrated. So you have your own cultivation facility, a production facility, and then you sell it at your retail store. Nice really sweet what um 
why so with the three governing bodies like the is when they finally have this last one is it that they realize there's so much money being brought in that they're like oh we need to take that money away from everybody else and create its own little entity well i think it just really stemmed from from the fact that the industry has grown so much you know when it started out as just medical only it, it made sense perhaps to have our department of public health um, regulate that industry and then once we had adult use then it moved over to the department of tax uh, but it really just became too, too big of a of a industry to, to manage. Um, you know, the Department of Tax is obviously pretty busy. They have other other areas. And so just in terms of, of manpower resources, it, it, it became clear that this industry really warranted its own regulatory body. Um, and so I think that was sort of the impetus of let's let's do this right. Let's give them all the resources they need to to make this um, a well-run and well-organized industry. And so that's where I think the cannabis compliance board's really gonna gonna help the state. How fast did the uh, cannabis industry in Nevada grow that it finally warranted having its own authority in the administration, you know, the Nevada Cannabis Compliance Board? Yeah, you know, it was really a, a long road. I mean, Nevada's had medical cannabis since 2000. There was a, a constitutional amendment and the, the voters of the state actually approved it. But even though it was approved for use, there was no system in place to to buy it. So unless you could cultivate it yourself, you know, you really didn't have access. So finally, in 2013, our legislature said, OK, if we're going to have medical cannabis, let's set up a system where people can buy this product safely and know that it's tested and meets you know, certain quality standards. Um, and so that's when the industry really started to take off. So in 2014, 2015, you had the first medical um, dispensaries coming online. And then pretty soon after that, in 2016, we had another uh, vote and that's when adult use came into play. Um, and then that's when it really took off and you started to see, you know, a, a really booming business that warranted, um, you know, careful uh, and thoughtful scrutiny. So uh, all the Illinois viewers, make sure you pay attention to that. In about three years, they may have to have entirely new regulations and an entirely new regulatory authority, which is fine. I mean, like if there's gonna be, and that's something that we could talk about in a second, but like Illinois projections are pretty, pretty uh, hockey stick-esque. And so like we're mm -hmm. already probably gonna hit like six to $750 million in sales this year and and then in like conceivably in two three years it could be approaching two billion dollars yeah. how large is the cannabis industry grown in nevada you know i think i'm trying to i pulled up some stats it's it's pretty impressive you know and and the adult use has really subsumed the the medical market um you know i think in the six months ending in december 2019 i think there was some 360 million dollars in sales in nevada in just those six months and of that 360 million in sales, only about 40, 44 was medical sales. So Can that you grow of, your own in medical in, <laughs> in Nevada. You know, so it, it, it depends. Um, the, the preference is to have people go through licensed dispensaries. There are some provisions in our state law that allow you to grow it. But I think you have to demonstrate a certain uh, distance between you and, and, and a licensed store. So unless it's um, a, a burden to have to drive to a medical dispensary. Um, you, you wow. Yeah. So you got to prove that. Pay me. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, because Illinois may that may happen as well as mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the and I, I still think it'll be like Nevada and Washington State where it's still there. Medical's still there. Mm -hmm. But here in Illinois now, you're allowed to grow five plants. And so if you have five plants and you're not really allowed to share your your medical supply, 
very quickly, the reason you're going to the dispensary is because you're bored with your weed collection. And, <laughs> you know, that's 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 true. For the last time I went to the dispensary this last week, I forgot my card. Uh, and like you can get cheaper taxes, but you have yeah. to go through the medical. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, oh, dude, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it just updated. I haven't been here in months. And so I had to go back home and get my card. Oh, shit. Um, with Nevada, though, you guys last month just pardoned 15,000 people with marijuana conviction. What social equity stuff is going on over there besides that pardon? Is there anything in the program with the licensee or any grants or anything like that? Yeah, those pardons were a really important step, I think, in, in recognizing that this is, you know, this is an activity that the state of Nevada and the people of Nevada have determined is, is lawful. And we, you know, needed to take those steps to kind of um, rectify past past convictions for what is now a perfectly legal um, thing to do. You know, in terms of other efforts, um, our legislature did incorporate um you know, looking at race, gender, other markers of diversity and issuing licenses. But that is really only a recent addition. You know, that was not considered back when the first licenses were going out in 2014. Um, you know, and that first group of licensees, you know, that's really the, the bulk of the industry now. So we didn't have that social equity component at first. And, you know, that that problem has kind of persisted. We're trying to address it now, but yeah. it wasn't there initially. Is Nevada issuing any current licenses? So one of the interesting things about Nevada's process is uh, we have a hard cap on the dispensary and retail licenses. So, you know, the, you can't just come to the state and open a, a retail store. You, you pretty much have to buy a company that's already licensed. Um, that's, that's a pretty significant barrier to entry. Um, and then for the other types of licenses, cultivation and production, we just, we don't have an open application process. Uh, the regulators open a, a small window every so often, you know, it could be as infrequent as once a year or even longer in between application periods. So unless you hit that exact application period, you're not gonna be able to get a license. It's, yeah. it's not open. This is why like consulting is so big because yeah. it's like this where it's like, junk. And then two months later, bang, they just shut it and you're not in, you're not in. And so, and a lot of the industry is highly regulated and it's quite similar throughout the country. And so if you already have like a thousand page application, basically ready to go and it's yeah. like, tell me about your team, sit down, come on, let's work on your business plan. Uh, and then you can kind of hit that window. But if you don't start early and you're not already ready to go, it becomes exceedingly difficult to get in. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to put together. You have to be almost ready to go so that as soon as that window opens, you're you're ready to hand in your application. What about selling the licenses? Like, are they allowed to get rid of the license to an out-of-state person? I mean, at this point, we're at the point where big marijuana is like picking up all the big licenses. Uh, how, yeah. how does that look over there? We've seen a lot of that um, in, in recent years. Uh, Canadian, publicly traded Canadian companies have been snapping up Nevada licensees uh, pretty yeah. frequently. Um, and so there is a process under state law to, to sort of sell your business and move the license over to a new owner. Unfortunately, as part of the transition between our regulators, that process got frozen. Oh. And so for months, people you know had a, had a merger in place, had a deal in place, and then they just had to sit and wait for, for it's almost been, gosh, nine months now, yeah. uh, waiting for a regulator to take a look at it. So that that was a pain point, certainly. 
I would have uh, inked an addendum to that uh, PSA regarding like, all right, until that time, we're going to enter into a management agreement so we can start sucking some money from that. And we'll, we'll, you know, you're going to sell it to us. You're not backing out of this, you know, and stuff like that. So you can kind of uh, forestall closing while still getting some of the upside. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then that's when you're talking about that crap, you're into like, okay, these people have millions of dollars and they actually have sophisticated counsel. You're not talking about new entrants into the industry and making it accessible. Um, so let's continue our, our analysis of how to obtain a cannabis license, a cannabis business license in Nevada. Uh, it, it appears that just kiss trying to get a dispensary goodbye. Am I wrong on that? You know, if you, if you have several million dollars to purchase an existing one like getting a new one it's it's only like there's only so many dispensary licenses you have to buy it yep okay. <clears throat> what was the original entry for that for that barrier like we had a previous guest kush kush who fifteen hundred dollars when washington first opened up and that was the best oh. investment that guy made yeah uh, how about for you guys in the beginning what was the price point yeah so in the beginning um you know aside from all the just the general, you know, consulting fees, getting someone to develop a security plan, you know, the attorney's fees were not insubstantial. Um, one of the biggest barriers was you had to show $250,000 in liquid cash um, that you could devote to the business. And, and that had to be set aside in a bank account that was not being used for anything else. And you had and I earn interest on it. I just yeah. don't want to sit there with nothing. Yeah, know. exactly. So, so you had to have fairly significant means to even participate in the initial licensing process. Yeah, you'd be su surprised at how few people actually just have like hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> in their checking accounts on that. Exactly, yeah. And there's not that many people, yeah. you know. But that's the problem, the problem with, the, with the entry because, uh, you know, it cost him $1,500 in Washington. Now he, he could sell that license for a million dollars. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Now, but unfortunately, anybody trying to originally make money in Nevada is kind of frozen still, huh? Yeah, hopefully the new the new regulatory agency is going to start working through that backlog of, of transfers of licenses, uh, because, yeah, you know, a lot of the folks who who built these businesses, you know, are, are ready to, to cash out and move on. And there's new operators who want to get involved. And all of that has just been frozen in place. So but we can start to grow. Yeah, let's talk about how we can obtain a cannabis cultivation license in Nevada after we've uh, kind of said, all right, well, we know how to get a dispensary, but how do we go about getting the cannabis cultivation license? So you you still have that problem is you have to wait for an application window. Um, even the cannabis and production facilities aren't just generally available. Uh, you have to wait till the state determines there's a need for more, and then they open up that licensing process. Um, unless again, you can purchase an existing business, but that that also has been frozen. So it is. That it's dreaded national uh, Nevada Cannabis Compliance Board. Hey, uh, what about costs to your barriers to entry then? Because now that we can't get the retail side, we have to turn to the cultivation side, yeah. which historically has greater operating costs, especially for your startup. Uh, what are the operating costs for the startup, but then also the license type differentiations, like for the size of plants? Yeah, you know, we don't have any hard cap. I know a lot of states have like small cultivation facility licenses versus large. You know, we don't differentiate um, in, in that respect. But some of the primary costs are, again, uh, you know, demonstrating security plan, having a good location um, in Nevada. Access to water and water rights can be very important. Um, you know, having secure real estate. Uh, you have to find a local jurisdiction that allows these businesses, uh, you know, 
when we first started working on this in 2014, a lot of the local cities and counties said, nope, don't don't bring them here. And so people were kind of hopping around the state trying to find a, a locale that would accept that. So those were some of the initial problems we saw. I'm going to I'm going to put the operating cap and be like, hey, budget 10 million bucks at least, because uh, if you're not, you're going to it's going to be tough. Well, and the other issue, too, is when you only have a, a cultivation license, you know, you're, you're dependent on someone else to, to take your product. And if, if those dispensaries already have their own cultivation facility, you know, you're going to have to really have a product that stands out um, for, for people to take it because, you know, they're already growing their own. Um, have you heard about pay to play? Like, you know, for shelf space? You know, I, I I don't know if that's as common here. I'm sure there are some arrangements like that because, you know, if, if you have a, a captive cultivation facility, it's going to have to really, you know, pique your interest just to start buying from someone else. Can What about medical, though? Like, recreational seems to be like a high air entry. Um, what's your medical process? Like, for, for Illinois, they actually had created a structure, you know, which in Washington and in California, it was more like, okay, here's a script, go at it. And that was it. What's it like in Nevada for medical? If I wanted to start a grow or a dispensary? Yeah. Same, same problem. Cap on licenses and, and closed application windows. Wow. Yeah. So, so, you, so you do have a market then. I mean, not a market, uh, an established uh, regulation for your medical side then. We do. Um, most Each. all of the medical dispensaries uh, do both. They sell both medical and recreational. Um, so, so I think there's only maybe one or two dispensaries left in the whole state that only sell medical. Most everyone is dual use now. Um, and it's, it's very similar regulatory uh, processes between the two types. So you can't, I was going to say then, so it's not like you have an option to go get a, a medical cannabis business license. That's not a thing on the table. Nope. Same, same problems. Yeah. It's, it's a tough market for sure. Same for Illinois. I mean, like Illinois is more open than Nevada, but it's way less open than Oklahoma. Yeah. Wait, I, see. I got two lawyers here though. Isn't this kind of like a monopoly when you only limit the recreational and medical to just these players? Yeah. I, why aren't there antitrust lawsuits, right? Maybe one day there will be. You know, and what's interesting is, you know, the dispensaries that have the licenses, they also, I think, put some political pressure on the state not to, to issue more, to create more. You know, the, the folks who have the licenses like those licenses and, and don't necessarily see a need for, for new businesses. Well, that limits uh, competition too, right? And that's another downfall to this uh, capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Product sells itself. You know, the point of capitalism is to have it regulated. Otherwise, you know. But I mean, I mean, quality should always speak for the plant. I mean, that's where in, in Washington, I don't understand caps. It's like you should join, you get involved, you either good or bad. And then if you're bad, you're not going to be doing it again. You know, it just makes no sense. You know, I think it was probably initially a way to sort of phase in and to let people get used to the idea is you have a set number. They're not on every street corner. People, people get more familiar with them. They begin to accept them. And, you know, maybe the cap will be lifted in the future. Um, I think it was probably a stepping stone um, to at least get the state kind of on board with the whole industry. Like when Tom and I met 10 years ago, uh, you know, we're both using pseudonyms online. And uh, one of the people I, acquainted with was from nevada he was a grower an underground grower before it was medical uh what's the uh the culture like out there i mean i only knew one guy that was growing out there but nevada <laughs> is kind of the wild west right? kind of still yeah you know we nevada has a very libertarian bent um and so 
you know, we've made great strides in sort of the general population kind of getting used to this idea and accepting these businesses. I think there have been a lot of strides um, made in that area. Um, you know, and, and Las Vegas, especially, you know, people come to Las Vegas to, ha to have a good time. You know, the, the idea that that we are a destination for vice tourism is certainly, you know, nothing new. And, and so I think the industry fits well into into that part of our, our state. For sure. I mean, that always blew my mind. It's like you go to Vegas, you go to a casino, they're walking around with cocktails so you can yeah. not leave the slot machine. I mean, throw me a joint and I'll never fucking leave your building. Yeah, I'll be very confused. You know, I'm going to lose more money. You know, what's interesting about that is our state um, gaming regulators have drawn an extremely hard line with the, the marijuana industry. Um, you cannot bring marijuana products anywhere near a casino. Casino owners can't participate in the industry. Their spouses can't wow. participate in the industry. There is a very firm um, separation between those two industries. So which leaves a lot of visitors confused, right? You come to Las Vegas, uh, you see billboards for marijuana shops, you see the casinos, but you better not bring them uh, anywhere near each other. Uh, so, so I can get an STD, but I can't get high. <laughs> I'm just saying, hey, man, you got prostitution legal out there. You got uh, the alcohol everywhere. But yeah, and gaming and gaming. Yeah. So far, gaming and cannabis, uh, those paths shall not cross. <laughs> wow. You think it's legal, but it's still not. Uh, that that's fascinating in that sense. But one question that I have because of how uh, Nevada and Las Vegas are so intertwined mm -hmm. and, and Las Vegas is such a tourist destination. Uh, are there differences if, for purchase limits if you're in state or out of state? And what percentage of your sales comes from people that are out of state? Oh, gosh. You know, the, the purchase limit is the same for everyone. Um, for adult use, it's one ounce. It doesn't vary depending on your state of residency. Um, you know, I think initially we beat California to the adult use market by about six months or so. Um, and so I think initially, you know, we had a, a greater percentage of sales, you know, coming from tourists, coming from visitors. But I think as California came online and other states have kind of caught up to us, it's 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 decreasing. Um, you know, it's not as novel as it as it once was for visitors. Well, you have border um dispensaries i don't even call them dispensaries anymore the pot shops at this mm -hmm. point but yeah you have border pot shops there's that one with blue horizon i think at blue point blue something oh on the border <laughs> yeah i mean they're a big one with salt lake and uh there's something else over there i think uh but do, do they look at that as far as these border pot shops you know doing more business than the ones in central or anything like that you know that's interesting i mean i'm sure it it, it doesn't hurt you know, Nevada is pretty clear that you're not supposed to take it with you across state lines. But um, yeah, especially on a border of a state like Utah, where you know, you obviously don't have access to, to cannabis from that state. Um, you know, I think it's it's an interesting business model to to put yourself where Utah consumers can access. Yeah, your well, products. It's definitely How far away is the so like if I want to go buy weed, is there delivery uh, or is there a specific area of town that I have to go to? Yeah, so Nevada uh, dispensaries and retail shops are allowed to do delivery. Um, when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, they only could do delivery. Our governor shut down uh, retail sales. And so these these businesses had to pivot to a delivery only model, which I think was, was pretty challenging for them. Uh, you know, then they were allowed to do curbside service. 
you know, then they were allowed to have people back in the shop. So everyone's kind of been scrambling, trying to keep up with the, the changing landscape. Um, but yes, there is delivery available. Um, the locations of these businesses are pretty heavily regulated in terms of where they can be. They have to be certain distances from schools and daycare centers, churches. Um, you know, a, a lot of them are yeah, like, because gosh darn it. This is Las Vegas. We're trying to have schools and churches. <laughs> you know, we're a, this is an upstanding place. It's almost Utah, you know. They can't be anywhere near the Strip. I'll tell you that. Um, they they wow. are far away from casinos. Yeah, there's a separation requirement there. <laughs> oh, casinos too. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Keep them away from the casinos. Sure, it's just a nonstop Uber weed line going into the valet area for the casinos. Where it's like, thanks, man. Thanks. Seriously. Go back up to their room and not smoke it. What are they afraid right. of? Well, yeah, they're they're definitely not supposed to be doing that. <laughs> but but it, it puts. Well, what about the? the uh, but then I was going to say, uh, well, you know, uh, what about the social consumption lounge then? Is yeah, there a place? we don't have them. So it really, it's a lose-lose situation for visitors where they're set up to fail. They're invited to come to the state. They're invited to purchase cannabis products, and then they're not allowed to use them anywhere. So it, it's it's a trouble area that I think our legislature and the new com cannabis compliance board is, is probably going to start looking at. That's the one thing we got right. We are, um, when they did recreational here, it's up to the hotel to decide whether you're going to have cannabis or not. Check it out. Uh, I am a, I am a guy in Nevada at a hotel enjoying his cannabis. Yeah. <laughs> you just look at it. Not allowed to use this. No, you're not allowed to bring it in the hotel. I mean, oh my god, you can't even bring it in. No, I'm a guy in a parking lot in a hotel at a, yeah. a casino in, in Vegas. Yeah. Like there was never weed in a hotel in Vegas ever before. Or coke. <laughs> or coke. <laughs> or <laughs> I'm just saying, it's back country. Oh shit, that's right. I forgot Gonzo was hanging out there back in the 70s. And that was um that was a, a cavalcade of drugs he had in that suitcase. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm you... sure the gaming control board would have something to say about that as well. <laughs> oh gosh, I would hope so. So are the regulators pretty in your face? Or are they easy to get along with in Nevada? You know, we've had one meeting of the, the new regulatory body, and, and I think it bodes quite well. We've got a former chairman of our gaming control board. We have a former Supreme Court justice. Um, we have someone with a deep bench of experience in the banking industry. So they're they're really thoughtful professionals with, with a lot of experience in, in regulatory issues. So, um, you know, I think they're going to strike the right balance between, uh, you know, a firm hand, but also helping the industry grow. What are the uh, the new regulations that just released according to the um, article here? Yeah, so a lot of them are pretty similar to the existing regulatory structure. Um, I think that'll start to diverge. Uh-oh, she went mute. Oh, I think that'll start to diverge as time goes on and, and the board starts diving into um, areas that need improvement. Um, but but a lot of it is the same. Um, no. So it'll, it'll change, though, as time goes on. Was it just like a general meeting then? Like, let's reinforce the old shit before we make new shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They so they kind of recategorized them, added a few things here and there. Um, but but I think we'll we'll start to see more changes. I think especially in the area of of mergers and how to deal with transfers of ownership, there's certainly a lot of room to to make that a more sophisticated uh, regulatory structure that takes into account you know publicly traded and international owners. Yeah, that's crazy. Do you guys in your tax structure then, because that's one of the reasons why a lot of states start to actually legalize adult use. Uh, how does how are the taxes uh, collected and what's the rates? Yeah, so um, 
at the retail level, adult use is subject to a, a 10% excise tax. Um, medical is not. So again, there is some incentive if you have a card to continue purchasing it as a medical product. Um, at the wholesale level, there's a 15% excise tax on, on both. Wow. And so it's generated some significant money for the state of Nevada. Um, I think, you know, upwards of $100 million a year. So it's wow. it's a it's an important part of our, our budget. And that money right now is going towards education and uh, some money to local governments and then a, a little bit to our rainy day fund as well. That's awesome. I mean, but those are really high just for some reference. Illinois doesn't have the excise. They do have, um, uh, well... Illinois' cultivation tax is about half of what it was in, in Nevada. So it's about 7% in Illinois as opposed to 15. But then it depends on what type of product you're purchasing. And so like the there's more tax, the more potent. And I don't have a vape cartridge on me. But a vape cartridge or a concentrate, those are taxed the highest. I want to say that's a 35% uh, tax. And then the uh, flower products, provided that it's less than 30% or something THC, they're taxed at, at the lowest level. And I want to say that's maybe 15. And then edibles are just at 20 hmm. across the board. And so they have that type of striation, but then they kick back some to the municipality and they say, but also the municipality can tack on another three to three and a half percent on top of their sales tax. So they give the, the municipalities a little bit of uh, gravy as well. And then also the sales tax, because it's it's that's how sales tax is collected. And if you're selling $10 million of marijuana in a particular county, well, that's nice. They'd like to get that, you know. So it's still fairly well taxed is what we're getting at. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting about the different product categories. That's got to add a level of complexity for operators to, to be assessing different rates across. True. But then you, you understand, like, because of the regulations in this, uh, do you guys, are you a metric state or are you a biotrack THC state? Um, they use metric here. Yeah, because those seed to sale uh, relational databases are very, very robust in the types of, um, you know, things that you can track. And so I'm assuming that they just build in a new little unit there. And then when they, they scan the SKU, it's probably automatically applied, all that type of stuff. Yeah, that's the, the automation piece of it, I think, is, is extremely helpful. And, and having everyone in the industry on the same platform. I mean, you know, again, greatly simplifies the auditing and, and uh, that piece of, of the regulatory structure. Well, I see your board's already collected you guys some money here with uh, 1.2 million for a fine here. Yeah, that was a, that was a big one. Um, and, and that, again, had been pending for, for quite a while under the, the previous regulator. Ooh. And, you know, it had kind of languished and languished. And I think they were waiting for the new board to take over to, to finally, you know, deal with that. So they had a big one right out of the gate. No um, kidding. That well, was, so that's like from from the, one of the last entities that were governing your, your yeah. guys. Yeah, that 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 fine spanned two different regulatory agencies had to had to deal with that uh, bad actor. So it's that fine was a long time in coming. It, it took crazy. quite a while to get processed. And then what's up with your uh, Nevada's cannabis conspiracy and corruption trial? I got this uh, article here. Oh, man. Yeah, that also has been a, a pretty big deal. Again, a, a previous regulator, it, it goes back a few years. You know, awarding these licenses, obviously, they're extremely valuable. These businesses invest a lot of time and money um, in, in putting these applications together. They get submitted to a state agency. And then months later, a result comes out. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. 
but but when you you come out on the losing end of that, it is it's it's very upsetting. You you want to understand why, and when uh, businesses started to dig into that, you know there there were some problems uncovered, and and those are being uh, <laughs> brought to light as part of this trial. Man, I am shocked shocked that there would be such things in in uh, Vegas cannabis. I mean, I thought if you could believe the word of anybody, you could believe it in Vegas. Do you know how many people get married there? Yearly basis, right? They're serious when they go. I have a cousin that was married there. He's still married, as far as I'm aware. Uh, I was actually married there on uh, Valentine's Day. Are you still married? Still, technically, yeah. Hey, so it works. <laughs> See, everybody in Vegas tells the truth. Yeah. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can we go to find and follow what you guys got going on at Finnamore Craig? Oh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, Fenimore Craig is online at fclaw.com. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, you can find us. Dope. We will throw those links in the description. Thanks again for coming on and thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We will see you on Sunday.